What do you think of when I say bisexual history? Do a whole load of prominent figures spring to mind? Iconic, triumphant, historical achievements? Anything at all? Well, whether you're bursting with knowledge about trailblazing bisexuals or a completely blank slate, this episode is dedicated to education. Welcome to the By and By. about you but I love a quiz so of course this being an episode about education I've devised a little pop quiz for you on bisexual history I'm gonna ask a couple of questions and then check in again near the end with the answers good luck okay question one Charles Gilbert Chaddock coined the word bisexuality but what year did he do it in a 1785 b 1892, or C, 1918. Second question. After the famous Stonewall riots in 1969, one year later, the very first Pride March took place. It was organized by a bisexual activist who was from then on known as the Mother of Pride. But what was her name? A, Brenda Howard. B, Robin Oakes. C, Billy S. Jones. And finally, the third question. What was the first country in the world to give legal recognition to same-sex partnerships in 1988? A, Germany, B, Denmark, or C, Sweden? We'll get back to the quiz later on in the episode and I'll clue you in on the answers. But first, how did you learn about bisexuality? Can you remember? I remember being in primary school in the bathroom and I was talking to an older girl I remember bragging that I was dead smart because I knew what gay meant and then she asked me do you know what bisexual is and I was stopped in my tracks because I'd never heard that word before. Was she meaning to tell me that I didn't know it all? I asked my interviewees how they learned about bisexuality and got a wide variety of responses. So I first saw it on House. (laughs) (laughs) What a brilliant way to describe it. There was a character 13 and she was like bisexual and it's the first bisexual character I've ever seen and I just like remember watching it and being like oh my god this is a thing <laughs> this is a possibility and then I guess I saw some stuff about it on like Tumblr when I was a bit oh, older Tumblr. it might have been Tumblr for me uh, I think maybe just the internet in general but it was mm. definitely online I think it was in school because I grew up in a really conservative area I don't know no one really ever just told me this is what it is. I just kind of learned over time, I guess. I think it was the internet, really. I don't think... I think without the internet, I wouldn't know. But I don't know. I think I wasn't so sure of it until I went onto like, Tumblr. <laughs> so like, many YouTube. people have said that. The reason why I figured out my sexuality was because YouTube showed me that it was okay and gave me information. And I think that's really important. This is going to sound really like generic and, I guess, stereotypical, but, like, Tumblr... Yeah. You're not the first person. I, I'm not surprised. I've never watched a single episode of House. <laughs> I've only got into Tumblr like a year ago. That lasted for like three months. Oh my god. So um, I was very much raised on the idea that, that there was just either straight or gay. There was no like other identities. There was no other things going on. Um, and I honestly don't know how I found out. 
So, unfortunately, for most of my interviewees, they never had any education about non-heterosexuality. And a lot of people credit their education to the internet. And it's not just my interviewees. According to Stonewall's 2017 school report, 96% of young LGBT people say that the internet has helped them understand more about sexual orientation and or gender identity, and 95% say that it helped them find positive role models. As you may have noticed, among the answers I received, Tumblr was so commonly mentioned that I had to do some research. Pride.com writes that the majority of Tumblr users are in their late teens and early 20s, and the Office for National Statistics found that in 2015, 16 to 24 year olds had the highest percentage in the UK of LGBT people. I think this probably had a lot to do with it. Young people use Tumblr, and like we talked about in the first episode, it seems that more and more young people are identifying as, or openly coming out as, LGBTQ+. A student from Illinois told Renee Fabian for The Daily Dot, quote, On Tumblr, you can ask questions anonymously if you want, which I think is really important, unquote. Fabian continues, quote, The trick to Tumblr lies in following LGBT-positive blogs. This can be accomplished by searching LGBTQ+, in the tags, For those involved in the social media following around TV shows, books and movies, finding fans of the same characters or couples, such as Amy and Karma on Faking It, can lead to meaningful Tumblr friendships and communities." But of course, my interviewees span a range of ages, and before they discovered Tumblr, before they discovered the internet, or before the internet became a widespread thing, I wondered what they wished they'd known about bisexuality as a kid. That it was possible. You can yeah, be I think again, kind of that it can be very fluid. It's more of a spectrum that you can be have like a slight interest in another and still be part of that bisexual spectrum. And that just because you've only been in a relationship of any kind with one gender doesn't mean that you're not valid in saying that you are bi. I I wish I knew it was okay not to have a label. It has taken me like nearly 10 years to figure out that it's okay that I don't have to label myself and that labels aren't the the be all and end all. It can make as much or as little difference as you want it to. I wish I'd known that it was okay. I thought I was a bit of like an abnormality. And it was only really as I grew up I realised that bisexuality is a thing. And I wish I could go back and tell myself, I'm not broken. You're okay. You're entitled to your feelings. It's not weird. There's loads of other people that also feel the same. A good few of my participants also expressed their concern about sex and relationships education in schools. Many people couldn't recall a single instance in which their school acknowledged LGBTQ plus sexuality in PSHE or similar classes. Learning about my sexuality in school was very much an internal process and was not covered on the PSHE curriculum. You know, considering the anagram we were taught was like personal social health education, that's what it stands for. Yeah, and I think your sexuality is like deeply entwined in personal, social and health issues. My school did not mention sexuality at all. Not once. And there were people I know who were having sexual relations who were LGBT and they weren't necessarily doing it safely because they'd never been taught about it. This is probably the effects of Section 28, a piece of legislation which banned the promotion of homosexuality in schools. Section 28 was introduced in 1988 by Margaret Thatcher and repealed in 2003, so people of around the ages 20 to 35 will have spent all or part of their school careers under this legislation. And further, 
In 2013, the British Humanist Association claimed that over 40 schools had sex education policies which used language that echoed Section 28 years after its repeal, restricting LGBTQ awareness for students. So, with the existing heterosexual sex ed being incredibly lacking as it is for many people, pornography plays a huge part in the way young people learn about sex. If that, and only that, is where they're seeing sex, for free and in abundance, then it's going to have some impact on what they end up expecting if and when they decide to have a go at the real thing. So, do you think it prepares young people adequately? I'm guessing that you're leaning more towards no than yes. I asked my interviewees how they think pornography portrays bisexuality in particular, and got some really interesting answers. And this is where you reveal all the porn that you watch. <laughs> and then someone listens yeah. back and critically evaluates your porn choices. Who doesn't do a great job of portraying mm. anything, anything. <laughs> to do with anything? Anything. It either doesn't, or it does in a way that's very like targeted towards straight men. Yeah, it's either not there at all, or it's, or it's just used as some kind of tool for male fantasy. But if you notice with bisexual porn, well, from experience, huh? um, it's always a three-way. Yeah. Other, depending on who the audience is targeting yeah, 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 for, yeah, yeah, different yeah. makeup of yeah. people involved. So for example... It's like being bisexual facilitates group sex. Yes, that's the way it seems to yeah. apply heavily. Also, an uncomfortable thing I'm always, you know, that you see in porn is that someone can become bisexual if they're pressured into having mm. sex with That's like a gender they're not attracted to. But I like that it's like a persuasion element. <laughs> it's like, it's not a trick. It's not a dirty trick. Sometimes it's after a drink at a party. But like... Like, if your rhetoric is good enough, if you like give them an impassioned speech, maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The porn that I've consumed portrays bisexuality as more of a group experience. Um, but that's possibly because a lot of the porn I watch is like lacking on narrative structure. <laughs> and it isn't, you know, it's not very much like, and then the new boy arrived at Tom's school, and then Tom, you know, he's been with his girlfriend for a long time, but maybe they just broke up. You know, he's been questioning a lot of things, and Jim arrives. I mean, I'm guessing they don't come out at the beginning of the porn. <laughs> Hi, I'm straight. I have something to tell you. <laughs> That's the kind of porn I want to see. I guess part of the reason why it's usually threesomes is that you can kind of show one person, and if you're bi, then like you can't show the 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 next ep episode with a different person. God, don't include any of this shit. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it isn't just, oh, you like more than one gender. You only get one gender, you're on rations or whatever. It is more than one person at a time. And polyamory is wonderful, um, but not all polyamorous people are bi and not all bi people are polyamorous. Now, clearly my interviewees are old enough and wise enough to know that pornography is not realistic and offers some pretty damaging worldviews. But young people don't know that. So it all comes back to education, in schools, in online resources, because that's where all the kids seem to be nowadays, and in person. If you know a young person, I implore you to have a chat with them about their sex and relationships education. The worst you can do is embarrass them, and the best is change their life. According to Stonewall's 2017 school report, just one in five LGBT pupils, including one in ten LGBT pupils attending faith school, have learned about where to go for help and advice about same-sex relationships at school. 
Three in five LGBT peoples have never been taught that same-sex couples can get married and have civil partnerships, and four in five have never learned about the different ways same-sex couples can have children. 76% of LGBT peoples have never learned about or discussed bisexuality at school. It's so odd to think that I was a bit kind of homophobic, biphobic, transphobic, just because of what I'd heard. It should be put in schools as well. Um, you know, um, I remember working in a Catholic school in Manchester. I'll not name names, but it was a very good school. And one girl was gay and, and they, the teachers were terrible with her. They were saying she was, you know, possessed and evil and there was something wrong with her and stuff like that. And I, she was having one-to-one vocal lessons with me and I took her to one side and I said, look, none of this matters when you leave here. None of it matters. So just say yes, sir, no, sir. And then get out of there, you know, and, and just don't let that destroy you. It wasn't until, like, secondary school that I didn't, like, even race as a topic for conversation. And that's when I realised that people were, like, not okay with it. And I was like, oh, oh, never mind then. So then I went through kind of a period where I was just like, I'm not going to talk about this to anyone because that's really scary. One of the, the first people I came out to was one of my teachers um, who I trusted with, like, everything. Like, he helped me a lot. And I was in floods of tears. Um, and I, I still I couldn't even say the words to him, I'm bisexual. I just kind of hinted a few times in the conversation and I kind of just looked at him and he just said I know it's okay and I felt so relieved because I was like thank god he doesn't think I'm a filthy pervert if you're like you know of a different sexual orientation yourself you can identify you can see it straight away in people not that you have a gay guy or anything but you can see people in crisis mentally and usually when they're being rude in class or they've got behavioural issues or they're self-harming um, it's usually down to that because they're in turmoil about I've, I have absolutely no one to tell and it's like kind of a I'd say like a lid um, on something that's about to blow These answers were really emotional to hear They're not only catharsis but instructions on how to benefit younger generations Think about what you wish you'd known when you were younger. Really think about it. And when you get the chance, pass it on. You never know who's going to need it. Okay, back to the quiz. If you've only just started listening, in which case I don't quite understand what you're doing, I earlier asked a couple of pop quiz questions on the topic of bisexual history. Here are the answers. The first question I asked was this. In what year did Charles Gilbert Chaddock coin the word bisexuality? The options I gave you were 1785, 1892, and 1918. And the answer was B, 1892. Chaddock was the first person to use the word bisexual to mean attraction to both women and men in his translation of Austro-German psychiatrist Richard von Kraft Ebing's text Psychopathia Sexualis. Before this, bisexual was taken to mean hermaphroditic. Second, I asked the name of the bisexual activist who organised the very first Pride March. Your options were Brenda Howard, Robin Oakes, and Billy S. Jones. The answer is Brenda Howard. Brenda Howard, one year on from Stonewall, organised what was then known as the Christopher Street Liberation Day March, and later as a Pride March. She also co-founded the New York area bisexual network in 1987, 
as well as the first chapter of Alcoholics Anonymous, specifically for bisexual people. The other two options, Robin Oakes and Billy S. Jones, are also very accomplished activists who you should research if you're interested. And lastly, I asked, what was the first country in the world to give legal recognition to same-sex partnerships in 1988, the same year that Section 28 was introduced? I can tell you that the answer is Denmark, and they progressed to legalising same-sex marriage in 2012. Sweden recognised same-sex unions in 1995 and legalised same-sex marriage in 2009, while Germany recognised same-sex unions in 2001, eventually legalising same-sex marriage in 2017. Well, I don't want to make any presumptions, but I'm guessing that, like my participants, you maybe weren't amazing. I can't tell you anything about bisexual history that is not autobiographical. <laughs> I don't actually really know. Um... I don't think of anything. <laughs> but surprisingly, I really don't. Like I said earlier, I can't even name a prominent figure off the tip of my head. I mean, it's there, that's the thing, it is there, but it's not spoken about like homosexuality is. I think of something that's probably, it's not talked about a lot, and I feel like it should be talked about more. I think, like, the only reason I know about bisexual history is through my own research. I think out of the four letters LGBT, B is definitely, like, the most slept on. <laughs> like... <laughs> Everyone has like lesbian or like gay icons or trans icons because they've done so much for the community But you never just hear of someone being like, oh, yeah, bi queen like that doesn't really happen And hey, I'm not judging any of you I decided to talk about bi history in this episode because many of my interviewees and I knew so little about it So here's what some of them did know. What do you think of if anything when I say bisexual history? John Maynard Keynes, the father of modern macroeconomics. <laughs> I had no <laughs> idea he was bisexual, but there was a plaque on his house that um, was rainbow-coloured, and I was like, <laughs> literally, I went crazy. You're the first person who's had like a, a straight-away an answer. Oh, John Maynard Keynes, look him up. Literally amazing. Literally did much an effort to the war effort. Literally wrote the idea of what an economy was. Everyone was just like, <sighs> and he died on the Sussex Downs with a oh. heart attack. Mm. Gosh. Fun, but yet not so fun facts. <laughs> <laughs> bi people are lit throughout history. There's a great page on Facebook, bi.org, which constantly posts about recognisable people who are bi or people in history who committed a lot and were bi or might have been painted as gay or lesbian or whatever instead. In some cultures that men like had relationships with men to train them to be married to women. I think a lot of people know that ancient Greece, they, a lot of the guys were bonking or banging yeah it was the idea that so when you were young you would literally be trained to be um what you would be from an early or you, they decide basically what you were a lot of it went along the lines of how um masculine you were um and when the youngsters joined the military which is a really young age actually really really bad but of course it was ancient um, the commanders would like take them under their wing and that would that would involve heavy training but also like sexual and intimacy sexual intimacy about that um, the commanders would still have their wives it is weird it's actually very frustrating but like um, the commanders would still have their wives um, so it has a bisexual aspect in the sense that they would still have children they had all this stuff but they'd also um, have this like apprentice almost and more than one at a time 
Um, and that part of that would be the intimate side of things. Um, and it just continues for the generations. Obviously, when this apprentice became old enough to become like an independent soldier almost, that's when they take on an apprentice of their own, who would then be this, I don't know, young child again, a bit weird. Um, and it would still involve intimacy. I mean, back in ancient times, um, and even up to present day in some of these communities, being bisexual was part of their stories. A lot of their gods were bisexual, a lot of their heroes were bisexual. Gilgamesh had a homosexual relationship. <laughs> Zeus uh, had wide bearer Ganymede. He was, you know, who was his lover. There was definitely themes of bisexuality that were running for thousands of years. But also going back to Hadrian, Emperor Hadrian of the Roman Empire, yeah. he had a young lover who was a male, who yeah. literally fell head over heels for her, um, having a wife, I don't know how many years beforehand, um, caused a lot of tension, as you might imagine in the marriage. Um, and that was definitely very intimate, like the letters they found were like mm. the scriptures of this, because he would go, he would tour the Roman Empire and he would take this person with him, this young boy, as well as his wife and there would be so much tension between them. And then one day they found his body in a river, the River Nile actually, mm. and it was devast- And he was devastated for the rest of his life, like, could never function again properly. Mm. Um, yeah, all of this is true. I did the research, and if you don't believe me or want to read more about it, you can check the references in the description. I went to a, um, an LGBT well, history event during History Month. We had lecturers come in and talk about LGBT history, and particularly this one lady came and talked about bisexual and lesbian women in the suffragette movement. And it, it was fascinating, really. There was an influential woman who was thought to be bisexual, and she had what was seen to be romantic relations with um, Emily Davidson and someone else. So, Blue may be talking about one of several potentially bisexual suffragettes. After the death of her husband, Emmeline Pankhurst engaged in a relationship with the composer Ethel Smith. Mary Blathwaite's diaries detail her own involvement with Pankhurst's daughter, Christabel, and Christabel's subsequent relationship with Annie Kenny. Yeah, Frida Kahlo, you bitch. There you go. There's some bi history for you. <laughs> Again, correct. Frida Kahlo, although I haven't found any record of her explicitly labelling her sexuality, had relationships with men and women. When you said bi history, I immediately thought William Shakespeare. Like, that was my only answer. Nice. So, uh... <laughs> nice. nice. Now, this may sound ridiculous to you, but it's really not all that implausible. Shakespeare ended up marrying a woman, as was the social norm at the time, but many of his sonnets, published without his permission after his death, were addressed to men, and many believe that this is an indicator of his bisexuality. This includes Sonnet 18, which famously begins, Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. Of course, to pin a historical figure's sexuality is difficult. They're not here to defend themselves or make anything clear for us but we can see that it's not as plain and simple as many scholars would have us believe. I think a lot of bisexual history has been, as with gay and trans history, <coughs> has been erased by hist- by like Victorian historians who wrote all the books Ooh. and did all the studies on it who like gloss over it. Like there's a lot of like letters between people and they're like calling their good friends, they're like, their heart, their wonderful person, the person they love to watch sleep every night, and it's like, Ooh. this is this is uh, 
just the kind of over-the-top flowery language they like to use in those days. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're gay, and it's like, they're gay. But I think, it, I think so I think bisexual history has been a lot, like, smoothed over. Mm. If you've not heard of straightwashing, Macmillan Dictionary defines it as, quote, the practice of portraying gay or bisexual characters from history or fiction as straight, unquote. Figures such as Virginia Woolf, Marlon Brando, Eleanor Roosevelt, Lord Byron, Catherine Hepburn and Sammy Davis Jr. have been painted by popular historical discourse as heterosexual individuals, but there's actually a lot of potential debate about the sexualities of each of them due to relationships they've had with people of the same sex over their lifetime, or private confessions which have gotten out into the open. We have a very rich bisexual history, but unfortunately it's not mentioned. It exists there, people know about it, but it's been ignored. It just got me thinking about how many bi people are erased from history. I mean, like, not not just erased to be straight, but also erased to be, oh yeah, gay, like um, Freddie Mercury. Robin makes a really good point here too. Not only has history been straightwashed, it's also been gaywashed. There are loads of famous gay people who aren't gay. They're bi. How many times have you heard Freddie Mercury referred to as a gay man? Or Sappho, a poet from the island of Lesbos, as a lesbian. Sure, she gave us the word lesbian, but she had many sexual relationships with men. I think it goes without saying that representation is incredibly important, but just in case you're out of the loop, I'll fill you in. When someone doesn't see other people like them, not only other people like them, but happy, successful, complex and nuanced people like them, where are they going to get their role models from? Like, I feel like representation is really important, especially when you're growing up. You're conditioned and you learn how to have a relationship through media, film, TV, just anything that a kid can sit there and watch and be like, okay, that's what a relationship is. I feel like representation is like the key to understanding things and the fact that people don't understand things is like the problem. I think Lauren put it really well there. Representation is the key to understanding. Not only for bi people, or young people trying to figure out their sexuality, but for everyone. If you don't know any bi people, maybe seeing bi people on TV will wake you up a bit. So I asked my participants if they do see any bi people on TV. I guess it depends where you look. I see some more bi than pan. Nothing springs to mind, honestly. I, when I think of in like TV shows and movies, I find more, well obviously straight, but more gay and lesbian representation than bisexual. It feels like there is actually quite a lot of bi women in TV, but then there doesn't really seem to be any like bisexual men. Not much, even within LGBT specific media, still not much. I'm not aware of, of it. I mean, it might be there. There's been more in recent years though. Increasingly so, but mainly no. Media representation is almost there like, we must be diverse. We must have a queer person in it. The majority of the time, it's a cis white gay man. Let, let's be real. Honestly, not a lot. Um, I feel like whenever I do see bi pan representation in media, it's often ambiguous. I mean, I think a lot of the time the problem is that they never say that they're bi. There's a whole thing either where they don't yeah. define themselves or they don't yeah, like labels. Yeah. So, like Piper and Orange is the New Black, probably bi. But she never says anything really about yeah. what she is, and everyone's like, oh, so are you straight? Are you gay? Those are the only two options that exist. Yeah. Also, there's a lot um, of queer baiting. Yes. Queer baiting. Defined by Alana Massad for The Guardian as, quote, 
the writers or creators of a world using injections of homoeroticism and romance to draw an audience seeking LGBTQ representation while not alienating a wider audience who may not want to see a gay relationship depicted. Unquote. This can apply to fiction such as TV, films, theatre, books, and so on, but it can also apply to people and music. In another Guardian article by Owen Myers entitled Two Directions Why Harry Styles' New Song is a Breakthrough for Bisexual Music Fans, Myers writes, and brace yourself, this is a long quote, quote This fan base is rightly skeptical about being exploited. Bisexual themes in post-millennium pop have often come across as queerbaiting, making a play for the lucrative support of LGBTQ audiences while avoiding the risk of alienating other homophobic fans. Katy Perry's I Kissed a Girl toyed with girl-on-girl imagery with all the nuance of Nuts magazine. This year she expressed some regret over the lyrics. In Not Myself Tonight, Christina Aguilera donned Torture Garden PVC and sang of a bi-curious moment of madness. Someone called the doctor, she urged, because I've lost my mind. Nicki Minaj claimed to be bisexual at the beginning of her career, rapping about a carnivorous appetite for kitty cat, but later said that she did it to get attention. Jessie J said that her own bisexuality was a phase, and it's been historically rare for male artists to acknowledge bisexuality at all. David Bowie famously told Melody Maker in 1972 that he was attracted to men. A decade later, he called the admission, the biggest mistake I ever made. Unquote. I did some more research on that, if only because a large number of my interviewees cited Bowie as a bisexual role model, and I found that in a Blender Q&A 20 years later, he elaborated, quote, I don't think it was a mistake in Europe, but it was a lot tougher in America. I had no problem with people knowing I was bisexual, but I had no inclination to hold any banners or be a representative of any group of people. I knew what I wanted to be, which was a songwriter and performer, and I felt that bisexuality became my headline over here for so long. America is a very puritanical place, and I think it stood in the way of so much I wanted to do. Unquote. I think it's important to remember, going back to the first episode, that not everyone is comfortable with being publicly out, regardless of whether they're famous or not. Bowie, although regarded as a groundbreaking figure in terms of gender norms and heteronormative expectations, clearly wasn't comfortable with having bisexual branded across his career. And this is why fictional representation is important. So, let's say you've got representation. Great, there's an out bisexual character in our film. Oh look, there's a sexually ambiguous but probably bi character in that TV show. Yeah, we'll take what we can get. But once you spot that character, it's important to consider how they're represented and what impact that has. BBC drama boss Oliver Kent told Huffington Post, quote, I think that something we could be better at exploring is bisexual characters. I don't think we've quite got that right yet as often as we could. You don't want the sexuality to be the story, and yet if you hide it too much, it's not part of the story at all. I think we could probably be better at that." Unquote. Pete Lawson, one of the EastEnders writers, said, quote, We're not brilliant at having characters who go, I am bisexual, I love men and women. We do much more, oh, I'm not a lesbian anymore. Unquote. Um, rent. Amongst yeah, many flaws. The fact that everybody was saying, like, well, like, Maureen clearly isn't a lesbian. Like, she's 
like Joanne's and lesbian, Maureen's clearly bi, mm -hmm. like that's a big part of how you look like you've got a question on this or something. Or just, just appreciating the fact that you brought that up. Yeah. <laughs> just and, and the fact that Jonathan Larson has sort of her ideas of lesbian I mean apparently he had bi or lesbian friends at the time going, No, that's not what a lesbian is. She has a whole relationship with this guy that she's still shown to be attracted to loads of people. That's what yeah. there's an entire and song about it. Also the fact that she never really has a say on her yeah. sexuality yeah. it's always other people saying oh she's a lesbian now because yeah. she broke up with you and she's yes. with a woman mm -hmm. she never gets to say yeah. yeah but putting that aside i wanted to devote the end of this episode to good representation of bisexual people so here are some examples sensei was really good for lgbt representation Grey's anatomy uh Callie torres the way that she is portrayed there's none of that i'm confused about myself and there's none of that i want to have a threesome it was just all so so well written and really respectful captain jack harkness was the original pansexual on tv he was just there for everyone and i was living for it i loved it when i i actually saw the song first and then went on to watch the series but daryl from my crazy ex-girlfriend when he came out and he had this whole song just busting stereotypes and it was so catchy and I'm just got it stuck in my head now even thinking about it but that song made me so happy. Uh, the only one I can really think of is in Avatar Legend of Korra which is was one of my favourite shows anyway um, and in the end even though it's very subtly presented two female characters get together who have previously been with men and I just think that's really great especially since it's a kids show because it's just it's just normalizing it and that's really important I definitely think more kind of my bi representation comes from like the music artists I follow so like I'm really obsessed with Tove Lo and she made like a short film to go with one of her albums called Ladywood which is great it's great so my representation definitely comes from like musicians and stuff mm -hmm. music we're gonna talk about Frank Ocean for a minute because he's a beautiful man with a beautiful soul and Brockhampton are doing the most for the LGBTQ society as a whole in rap music. Kevin Abstract, he has this whole album and it's just about, um, to sum it up, he's a black guy, like 21, from America and his family um, are black but like they are really homophobic so he's like shunned from his family and then his boyfriend's family are white and they're fine with being gay but they're really racist so they're both shunned and it's like like how do and like the album's like really emotional and it's just like iconic and I love it. There's this one song by this um, K-pop group called Glam and it was like one of the first albums because they don't really talk about LGBT stuff in Korea and like it came out to us I think and it was like about how they just like people and having a good time and I found that so cool not only is it just a bot but like everyone was talking about it and I was just really happy when it came out. I really like Halsey as a bisexual representation of media. I like that she writes songs about it and talks about it a lot. Almost systematically, always go back to it's raining. <laughs> <laughs>
like, doesn't matter what situation I'm in, if someone asks me what song I want, it's Raining Men without it's fail. It's such a good song. So iconic. Also, Cupcake, LGBT. <gasps> oh, Brilliant. yes! She, I don't know. I know, I think she she's straight. Queer. She's just a bad ally. She's just yeah. fantastic, isn't she? She's, she's so good. Make Me Feel by Janelle Monáe that just came out. Queer readings of songs are also a big thing. I think my, my main queer reading of song and thing I do at every karaoke is Baby One More Time. The first kind of bi anthem that I ever really heard and was like, yeah, this is a bi anthem was Girls, Girls, Boys by Panic at the Disco. Hearing like the chorus of it where they're saying like, girls love girls and boys and love is not a choice. And I, I cried because I was like, oh my God, like I kind of felt like validated. Santa Baby, but the Michael Bublé version. <laughs> <laughs> Good, Thank good answer. Thank you. <laughs> there is a lot of representation on YouTube, actually. YouTube is probably one of the biggest um, LGBTQ plus representative like platforms. Especially Dodie. I mean, she reaches a lot of people, like sexuality regardless. And the fact that she's so open and talks about her sexuality a lot means like I feel like a lot more people have accepted it that watch her videos and just people that I know myself which is good. Rose and Rosie I stand by that I think they are a fantastic example of how bisexuality is. I think Rosie is amazing and the fact that they are in a homosexual relationship but Rosie is so proud to be bi and is so actively like actively talks about it like she has like the bisexy series like in so many videos, she talks openly about it. I love Melanie Murphy, obviously. I love how comfortably she talks about her sexuality. Um, although I think primarily it's been touted as like a gay flick, um, Call Me By Your Name, the young teenage, well, the teenage character in that is definitely dealing with like some complicated shit. Mm. And he is seeing a girl and also seeing a slightly older guy. And all, oh, sorry, I just ruined the film. No, 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 it's just I've not seen it. Okay. But Everything I've heard about it has said that it's a film about a gay guy, or that it's a gay Oh film. my god! Oh, the world is so wrong! Did Which is why I was just really shocked then when you said he's dating a girl in Did it. Did anybody watch the film? Okay, so call me by your name. I highly recommend... Like, identity politics is hot, but a lot of it is dealt with in, like, crazy dramatic ways. It's mm. one of the few things that I've seen where you're like, oh, that feels like a real scenario. This sounds to me like there was never any kind of explicit conclusion of, now I'm gay. Or I've decided I'm gay. No, I think if there was nothing like that, then I'm gonna like. I think he just decides that he's in love. I think it's probably touted as like a gay flick because he chooses the guy, but it's not like he writes a note and he's like, "Then I realised I was solely exclusively gay." Yeah, the way people talk about it plays into such a popular narrative of like, you know, bisexual people choosing one or the other when they're in a relationship. Like, if you're in a relationship with a man and you're a man, then you're gay. Or, you know, if you're a man in a relationship with a woman, then you're straight. Like, there's no kind of nuance of your sexuality as a separate thing to your relationship status. Bisexuality, I think of Rosa from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Rosa in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Diaz in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, the, the woman from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, Rosa. Oh my god, yeah. I mean, I haven't watched it, but from everyone else's hair. reaction, it's been handled it really well, I think. Not only knowing that it's often a good idea to have a bi actress play a bi character, but also saying the word is really important. For Brooklyn Nine-Nine, she's quite an independent, strong woman. 
She's very aware of who she is and she has that coming out moment where she's scared everyone's gonna hate her and everyone's like, nah, it's cool, we like you. And the actress herself is also bi and she really fought for the word bisexual being said on TV and how they go about the story of it. Um, and I think that's amazing. So that's all. It's the end of the Bye and Bye series, but it doesn't have to be the end of this conversation. If there's anything I learned during the making of this podcast, it's that people have so much to say, but they need the opportunity to say it. We need to talk about bisexuality because at the moment it's kind of invisible. So if you take anything away from this, I want you to go with maybe a more open mind than you usually have. Listen to other people and tell your story. Thank you for listening. This was the third episode of The By and By, a podcast by me, Helena McCormack, for the Stonewall Young Campaigners Programme. The theme tune for The By and By is I Want to Kiss You by The Spook School, and all background music was by Sus Barman. The cover artwork is by Lois Tierney Illustration. You can find links to all of their work in the description, as well as the references for any claims made or texts cited in this episode. Thanks to all my interviewees for sharing their stories and lending their time. A special thanks to my Kickstarter backers, Chloe Maskell, Lauren Brown, John Glanville, Amberine Khan, Izzy Simmons, Charlie Knowles, Jacob Miller, Gregory Morrison, and several anonymous donators. Stay tuned next week for an extra special bloopers episode.